0: Welcome to the Remington Podcast, where we take a deep dive into all things ammunition. I'm your host, Audrey Mays. Today we're doing things a little bit different. I sat down with Remington Ballistics Engineer Jimmy Lawrence to answer questions y'all sent in to our email, podcast at remington.com. Thank y'all so much for reaching out to us. We love hearing from you guys. This is also our first episode that is available on YouTube. All the content posted on our YouTube channel will be the full interviews. So if you want to head over to the Remington 1816 channel and check out some unedited talks I have with our engineers, head over to youtube.com slash at Remington. That's youtube.com slash at Remington. Let's dive into some listener questions. Uh, Jimmy, how long have you been with the company?
1: Uh, this June will make 10 years.
0: 10 years, um, yeah. i have been
1: ballistics the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, you probably know more about plant history than most people here, I would say, I would argue.
1: Yeah, I've always tried to to dig up little tidbits and factoids from the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very large facility and there's a lot of little secrets around and I've always tried to to learn as much as I could about the place.
0: Yeah. I think when I first started here, you sent me an email that said some light reading. And it was like a seven page history on the factory plant here in Lone Oak.
1: Yeah, there was actually a a technician on the customer service side. He worked mostly on the firearm side of things. Uh, You may know Jeff Mm Galloway. He had put he put all those timelines together for the entire uh, brand all the way back to 1816. And he had included the ammunition side of things as that came along from the UMC years through the DuPont years, Bridgeport, Connecticut, and then finally Lone Oak and new loads and all of those things.
0: Mm -hmm. It's definitely an interesting read. And as a new person in the industry, I was pretty thankful for it. So with that, we're going to start off with a little bit of Remington history. We have Remington podcast listener Hunt Um, His email reads, Hello, I'm a huge Remington follower. I would love to hear about the history of the Model 700, the Model 7, and the 870 on the podcast. Maybe even some plant history, being that I live not far away from the Ilion plant in New York.
1: Okay. Um, I've never been to Ilion, but that is the old original factory where Eli Eiffelette Jr., went to town with his barrel he had forged and had a gunsmith put together the first rifle and that was kind of the start of the brand that we always have built ourselves as since 1816 and uh he went down into town in that area and and really set up shop uh folks really enjoyed the rifle that he had wound up making for himself. So he started making gun barrels more often by the 1850s. He was making uh, full firearms there in the Mohawk Valley on the Erie Canal, whatever that water is there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So recently we've seen the news that that facility is nearing the end of its operational life. And I think that will make it one of the longest continuously running factories on the uh, in the entire nation. But the same thing that is driving that plant down to Georgia is how our plant here was started. So that is the growth of business, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Our ammunition was always made in Bridgeport before 1969. And it was the same situation up there with the labor costs and the unions and the land costs and zoning and all those things got really tough to, to make ammunition there. So, they moved down to Arkansas, bought uh, 1,200-ish acres here in the farmlands, and hired every farmer in the county to come be problem solvers. And by 1973, they were making quite a bit of centerfire ammunition here. Uh, The last of the equipment came down in the late 80s, and that was rimfire.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why we call rimfire the newest addition to mm -hmm. the plant here at Lone Oak, even though it was quite a bit long ago.
1: Yeah, uh, I was born in 1988 and the last loader came in 1989, so. Well, there
0: you go. It's, it's meant been to a be. while. You were meant to be here. <laughs> yeah, that's a good tidbit of history. I am, um, and we only make ammunition here. Right. Right. So, um, well, thank you, Remington podcast listener Hunt for that uh, lovely email. Um, next, let's go with Remington podcast listener Nick, who would like to talk about the 44. Um, I'll read his email to you. I would really like to see Remington bring out more .44 mag deer options, perhaps an accutip like the slug and Bushmaster with the power port tip, copper solid like the slug, and core locked offering. The accutip would be more for a rifle, Ruger .44, Remington .788, Ruger .77. I think a topic like this discussed with the R&D department would be really cool to listen to. Keep up the great work. I enjoy listening to this stuff. Thanks, Nick.
1: That's a a good note. Um, That's exactly how a lot of the new products get started. Uh, You've talked with a couple of the R&D engineers in here in the past. Uh, You get enough people in the field asking for a certain use of of your loads, and then you drive towards that market. One interesting thing on this specific question is we kind of already do have that. Mm -hmm. So, if you go to uh, your sporting goods store and you look on the shelf – Uh, 44 Magnum is probably going to be in the handgun section. And we currently are packing it in what's called HTP, like high terminal performance handgun. Mm -hmm. And if you look in the back of our catalog, we have sitting over here, it's actually listed only in the handgun ballistic section. And it's advertised, you know, 11 or 1200 feet a second, whatever that number is. And it's going to have an asterisk that says that's through a vented test barrel. Mm -hmm. So... The interesting thing about 44 mag is there are two different ways you can test it in accordance with sammy the alternative is that we have a rifle test set up for it so the same load that we put in a box for handgun shooters we also test through a 20 inch velocity and pressure test barrel and it runs closer to 1800 feet a second and we shoot it for accuracy at 100 yards and uh so if you look at our 240 soft point bullet and then you get a 444 marlin cartridge in the core locked offering uh lineup those bullets are actually the same they just have different groove locations okay now in the past i think we have done some things with solid copper projectiles there uh and those may come back in the future but specifically the accutip one I love seeing ideas like that. That's exactly how the 450 Bushmaster came about. They saw the AccuTip slug and 20 gauge and said, hey, what if we made that a 451 centerfire projectile? The only issue with that in a 44 mag is we have to put it in a tube magazine, right? (laughs) So you have your uh, Marlin 1894 and 44 Magnum and you load the tube with, you know, five or six of those things. The little tip on that plastic will actually dent and pop in. It's probably not going to be a safety issue like a lot of people think about in a tube-fed magazine, but you'll start denting those plastic tips. So, you'd have to have some different type of ballistic tip on that thing.
0: Would that, would if you dented the plastic tip, would that affect ballistics at all? It may lower your
1: ballistic coefficient a little bit. Uh, usually, the point of the bullet doesn't have as much of an effect as, as the total shape of it. Um but the aerodynamic stability of the whole projectile starts with uh, the volume of that nose cone. Gotcha. So, so down it, range, it you might important. have a little bit of up and down variation.
0: Mm-hmm. Which you don't want when you're shooting at an animal.
1: Consistency, right?
0: Right, exactly. And uh, you said that you shoot these, uh, when you test them, you shoot these bullets out of a, what would be a handgun barrel and what would be a rifle barrel? <sighs> So, we have in
1: ballistics the, the recipe that we test against, mm-hmm. and we keep that the same every time. And when uh, the marketing department makes the catalog, we can use the alternate ways to test and come up with the velocity that that would be from, in this instance, a, a real-world handgun. Mm-hmm. So, a vented test barrel has a cylinder gap built into it. A lot of people wouldn't think about that. Our test barrels are tubes- very simple chamber rifling and a, and a port for the transducer to measure pressure um, but in the real world a handgun has a cylinder gap of you know five or even ten thousands that leaks gas out so instead of a solid barrel that's around 10 inches long you would have a uh cylinder portion the gap and then your you know six and a half or seven inch Rifled barrel after that, we really will only use those to establish the catalog velocities. So in this instance, 44 mag, we shoot that load in the 20 inch solid barrel. um, And then we advertise it with the known velocity from a handgun. Okay. So 38 special is another example where we advertise a vented velocity and we test it in a solid test barrel just because they're so much more expensive and you wear one out, Mm -hmm. you got to throw it away.
0: Right, right, Right. This is a huge topic, and we're definitely going to come back to it eventually for a full episode, but uh, I think you did a good job touching on all those things. So, Our next uh, email comes from Remington podcast listener Steve. Um, He says, I am hoping that you guys may do one on reloading. I'm assuming he means an episode. Shotgun holes. From old holes to new holes, maybe a few on the subject or a whole bunch of them. A lot of us here reload. I have seen tons of forums on it. People love Remington holes. The great debate on how to loaf and what to use. I assume that was supposed to be how to load. Uh, What is capable and what is not? Powders, wads, etc.
1: (sighs) Yeah, that's, that's a part of our industry that we've always supported uh, almost as long as ammunition has been around. Um, if you look at really old advertisements and catalogs from the 1900s, they have specific instructions on how to deprime your brass and clean it with hot soapy water just for the purpose that the end user can reload it and use it again. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think of what we do here at this facility, uh, on the surface, it looks like you're putting parts together to make a product. The shell, the actual brass cartridge is the hardest piece to make of the whole uh, package. So once you have that, you're pretty well set. Same on a shotgun, especially in the old days when it was a base wad with the body tube and then the cap and all that held together. Um you really hate to see people just leave those on the ground to get stepped on and sun faded so we do offer a full list of different wads and component primers and all those things so people can reload their own ammo or even custom load um for you know a lot of target shooters uh trap shooters and things like that will load their own holes to save money and also to hit the exact dram equivalent shot size things like that mm-hmm. so one of the things that we've always been very proud of on our sts line and even our gun club line of uh shot shell products is the the unibody that one piece plastic hull is very reloadable and we advertise it on the box as being highly reloadable what that means to the end user you know you sit down at your bench and you have a thousand empty fired holes and you're going to start rebuilding that ammo the first pass you may lose uh, 50 of them to various little defects you know mouth tears and things like that and then as you cycle through four and five and six reloads that number dwindles well how long you can make that bag of shells last actually becomes kind of maybe not important, but an interesting little arms race behind the scenes that no one really talks about. Mm -hmm. And I've seen in reload testing that we do, uh, you know, upwards of 20 reloads out of some of these products before the, the plastic is just too far gone to use again.
0: Well worth the one-time purchase. Yeah. What is, um, what is so special about the unibodies that makes them so reloadable?
1: So a normal shot shell body has what's called a base wad, which is a disc at the at the bottom, and that really seals the back of the cartridge, and then the body tube, which is pretty easy to imagine, just like a straw, mm-hmm. fits over that, and then the cap, the metallic cap, crimps around the whole thing and holds it together. So what you have there is several places for gas to fail and get under the cap. Once you get gas out of the uh, the chamber of the cartridge, and then into the metal area that's where you get rim ruptures and you start to swell the head out and it becomes uh, not only harder to use harder to extract from your gun but can become unsafe so the main advantage of our unibody where the the body of the tube and the base water all one piece with the metal there just to support that is there's there's only one place for that gas to fail and and go through and that's the primer bore so, the primer's got to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, no getting around that. <laughs> but it seals very well, deprime prime and reprime over and over again. Every time that chamber pressure resets the base watt, it's ready to seal a uh, new primer again.
0: Gotcha. So, so it, do you think the unibodies were designed in mind for reloading? I don't know.
1: That was a long time ago. It is uh, from the very first pull of the trigger, a stronger shell. Mm-hmm. And that's always going to be the most important thing: product performance and then safety. Right. Um, you know, the the interior profile of that hull is specific to the wads we use, and it overall makes a better product.
0: So, gotcha. And then um, back to reloading. I know that we specifically, as a company, we don't provide a lot of reloading information. Where can they find that if they if the customer wants it?
1: Yeah, we kind of say here's all the parts go figure it out right right yeah and it's not so much a liability thing as it is just uh that's the fun of building your own ammunition Mm -hmm. but a lot of times that falls back to the propellant vendors uh so if you look at the canister powder companies like hodgton an alliant they always will publish reloading manuals Mm -hmm. and the the biggest part of what makes a cartridge either safe or unsafe is what type of propellant you use and how much there is in there so you know people find out what i do or call in on the 800 line and ask questions like hey i need to know what type of powder and how much to put in xyz load and you know the simple response is we can't really share that and it's not because it's tippy top secret, but we're changing it from one year to the next, uh, different lots of propellant have different charge weights. Mm -hmm. So the way those reloading manuals are written, they build in, uh, the variation from lot to lot and they have the recommended charge levels and things to watch out for. Um, and those guys that write those manuals are really good at setting that data up for the end user to stay safe.
0: And it's so. all based on what components you use. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so centerfire is pretty easy. You have the bullet and the shell. Right. But on shot shotgun payloads, you can adjust your shot charge, uh, which wad you use, the column height on that cushion section. And then, of course, the primer. Mm-hmm. So, change, changing any one of those components out can completely change your load's performance. Um, well, I think the Alliant manual is the one that has probably the most in depth uh, information on shot shell components, and they will call them out by product type, like the RP12 WAD mm-hmm. or the STS WADs that we have, the Fig 8 and the TGT, uh, and in which primer and powder combinations play well with those. So,
0: Gotcha. So go check out those manuals then. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, Our next question comes from California. (laughs) Uh, Remington podcast listener John (coughs) writes, my most treasured shotguns are from the early 1900s through the 1950s. I expect I'm not alone. Plus, I live in California where hunting with lead shot is illegal, so I cannot use my treasured shotguns. Steel shot harms the barrels of my treasures and bismuth is priced higher than I can afford. When can't or won't Remington develop a softer non-lead affordable shot for use in vulnerable shotguns? Maybe in Blue Peters paper holes for Upland game for 28, 20, 16, and 12 gauge 2 and 3 quarter inch shells.
1: Mm. He's hit a couple different markets there. One is a very, very niche and mm-hmm. uh, and the other is actually more common than you would expect. So vintage shotguns are a lot of fun to collect. Some people get into guns by one of everything. Mm-hmm. And some people only have uh, what started as their grandpa's shotgun and then maybe progress from there. Um even back into the 1800s where they had Damascus twist barrels, you still have to go out and have fun with those and shoot the right ammo. Mm -hmm. So what he's talking about here, uh, a lot of people think of steel shot scoring the inside of a barrel, softer metal in the old days. That's part of it, but not all modern shotguns are chrome lined barrels. Uh, not all of them have harder steels than they were back then the biggest problem is a lot of times those are going to have fixed chokes Mm -hmm. so before we had interchangeable chokes the end of the barrel was just switched down with a constriction so if you have an old sportsman 48 with a fixed full choke barrel and you shoot a steel load through it that payload is so much harder it's likely going to damage your choke Uh, A vulture barrel or something like that. So that's the biggest risk with shooting modern steel hunting ammo through one of those vintage shotguns. Um, And it's kind of irreparable once you do that. Right. So, to answer his question (laughs) specifically, the answer I would give him would be bismuth, but I fully understand the price point conversation there. Mm -hmm. Um, Lead has worked really well for a lot of years, and those guns were designed completely around lead payloads. so I would not really tell anyone to leave their home, but there's an option.
0: <laughs> Those are your options.
1: <laughs> Move to Wyoming.
0: Right. Um, I mean, Bismuth is, it says it right there in the box that it's good for vintage shotguns.
1: Yeah, it's soft. Mm-hmm. It's, it's malleable very similarly to lead. Um, and then you go to the other extreme with the modern turkey loads with tungsten, where the shot is very hard. Now they're even a load that normally would be safe in a choke that you'd go turkey hunting with, you may still strain your choke beyond what it's designed for. So now we've gotten even to a new uh level of technology in these payloads that we have to be mindful of how we shoot this ammo when we go hunting. Mm -hmm. So now we're just skipping back a few generations to where lead was the only option right the only answer
0: yeah Yeah. so tell me a little bit about how the fixed choke in these vintage shotguns create barrel bulge well if you look at
1: uh, your standard hunting shotgun uh, go into your safe and pull out like a Benelli or a Remington and you pull the choke out you'll see it'll say a lot of times four steel shot Mm -hmm. and they're only going to put that on the IC and the mod choke which is you know medium constriction once you go to the full or extra full chokes, or even improved mod, you're going to see a lot of them are marked for lead only. Okay. So, what that is, if you over constrict your payload, you can think of pushing a, a bag of potatoes through a tube that gets tighter all of a sudden. That material has to go somewhere. So, lead deforms a little bit, but the main goal of the choke is to elongate and make the shot string more narrow. Right. So, you get a more dense pattern, right? with the steel it's already packed together so tight from hit the hit of the chamber pressure you know you're running around 10,000 psi to push it down the barrel it doesn't really compress very well Mm -hmm. and it makes it almost like a like a solid plug when it hits it at the velocities those things are going out so what you basically will do is just push your choke open instead of the choke pushing the payload down gotcha so there are chokes out there that can handle that and are designed to constrict uh, harder payloads. But when you start talking about choke strain and the velocities that these things run at, um, you're not going to just be able to unscrew your choke and put a new one in if you do that.
0: Right. So basically, something's got to give. Mm-hmm. <laughs> gotcha. Hopefully, not your shotgun barrel. <laughs> Thanks, John. Um, our next question email comes from Remington podcast listener Jarrett. I'm also led to believe that Jarrett is an Aggie, so gig him. Um, He says, I've been extremely interested within the past few years. I'm getting a super fast barment gun that shoots flat and accurate. My dad always talked about having a 220 Swift in his younger days, so I picked up a search for one. In my search, I came across other fast loads, such as 22 Creedmoor, 22 250, 22 250 Ackley, and the 204 Ruger. However, nothing even touches the nostalgia of a 220 Swift.
1: That's actually really similar to the shotgun question. Mm-hmm. You've got You've got this issue between technology and innovation and nostalgia right and how do you put a number on nostalgia so the 220 swift is still a great cartridge and has been for a long time it's probably coming close to 100 years old now i think it's probably mid 30s mm-hmm. uh, we load that you know in the high 3000s in terms of muzzle velocity but a hand loader can stretch its legs a little bit more than that is it the best one no we've got faster cartridges with better ballistic coefficients uh he mentioned 22 Creedmoor. uh that's still a wildcat just very very new within the last couple of years right uh same thing with the Ackley improved cartridges those were the hotness you know 20 and 30 years ago mm-hmm. so you look at a 22 250 remington versus a 220 swift and you try to find the advantage in one versus the other uh people may talk about barrel life those are actually going to be really similar between the two you have a lot of uh neck down right from your body diameter to the bore diameter and throat erosion and all those things are not going to be that much different so is one better usually it starts with what firearm you wind up with right and so we will always be loading those niche cartridges, even if they're extremely popular within a certain following, so that people can have their own choices as to whether they want the new cartridge with the, the better technology of what we've developed or something that's a hundred years old and has a venerable legacy of having shot, you know, 10,000 gophers, mm-hmm. whatever that target is. Um, but yeah, you've got, you've got almost a hundred years of product development between the one and the other. Right to shoot the same prairie dog. Mm -hmm. I've always found that very fascinating.
0: Yeah, me too. I am known to hunt a prairie dog. Um, And I mean, I use just regular 22. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's all personal preference.
1: Yeah, 223 Remington's uh, very versatile and very popular for varmint hunting. Um, At some point, you can just take your 30-06 out there and do the same thing. Mm -hmm. But the idea that they wanted to make a specific cartridge just for varmint hunting has always also been funny to me because we're in arkansas i don't have that as a sport right right um we can go squirrel hunting but we aren't in kansas where that is extremely popular or utah Mm -hmm. um but we're definitely here to support it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And varmint hunting is actually on the rise Mm -hmm. right now. We've gotten a lot of requests um, from customers either at trade shows or in my personal life talking about varmint loads and people just want them to be fast. Yeah. The
1: first time I thought about what that ammunition is supposed to do, we were testing some 17 Remington Fireball. Right. (coughs) And, uh, yeah, i was looking at the numbers and the specs on the sheet and it's running around four thousand feet a second mm-hmm. with a 17 caliber bullet so basically a pellet rifle on a lot of steroids right right and i started looking at the accuracy results we were getting it was shooting 0.6 inches at 100 yards and i got to thinking how much that would make that sport uh more enjoyable because mm-hmm. you know you see your target out there 150 yards and now not only can you put your shot on the head of a squirrel, if you're good enough, right, uh, it will absolutely vaporize it when it gets there.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and that's what people want.
1: It's on my to-do list. <laughs> right. Yeah. Makes yeah. a pink mist.
0: Mm-hmm. And varmint hunting also has like very much expanded from small rodents like prairie dogs and squirrels. Now people include feral hogs, mm-hmm. um, coyotes, yeah. Jack Yeah. jackrabbits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, jackrabbits. Sure. yeah. So the, the predator hunting is another
1: uh, market and those have kind of combined. And I, I think just looking at it from the outside, I think I've hunted hogs once. Um, I think. <laughs> well, there's an interesting thing happened in the last 20 years where the modern sporting rifle, you know, AR pattern rifles got really popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, people started actually training and and buying more tactical type gear uh, for home defense and property defense and you know working on a ranch and so you get your setup you get your uh, night vision goggles and you get your ammunition picked out but what do you do Mm -hmm. you can't just sit and wait on the sthf that we'll prepare for right you can go shoot coyotes and hogs and all those things and it becomes a way to use that gear but then it also ties back into the farming, where you have uh, hyper accurate, high velocity uh, rifles and ammunition. So, I would like to try some of those things one of these days as Definitely. well. Definitely.
0: And I mean, like you said, you can't beat the nostalgic stuff. Like, I mean, you, going back to the uh, shotgun mm-hmm. question, are the proud owner of many vintage shotguns. Yeah,
1: I actually shoot sporting clays with a side by side with hammers. Uh, seen it because it's more fun (laughs) I don't shoot better than anyone and not even as good as myself with an 1100 Mm -hmm. but I do have more fun with it and kind of an example of of exactly that conversation on nostalgia versus what's new or better you look at a cartridge reload like the 3040 Craig those guns are out there Uh, there's a military surplus rifle that never saw a lot of action so they're all in good condition You go to a gun show and you can still find a Craig Jorgensen made in the 1890s. You go to a store, pick up a box of Remington Corlot and go hunt a deer with a thirty forty 40 that's, you know, 120, 130 years old. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of nostalgia that we support. And same conversation with a thirty thirty 30 or any of the other lever gun chamberings. Um, We've been loading that same ammo for a long time.
0: Right. And it's nice to be a part of that also. We are Remington, so yep. nostalgia is kind of the name of the game for us.
1: Yeah. And and I've always enjoyed kind of taking the devil's advocate on protecting the, the catalog of offerings
0: because
1: mm-hmm. a lot of people would look at, you know, my recipe book has about 1400 different item numbers in it. Let's thin that down some, right. You know, someone might ask, you know, who's buying 41 rim mac well there's a guy out there that has that gun really loves it and will swear up and down it's better than a 44 Mm -hmm. and every cartridge has its following and uh so long as we keep selling them we'll keep loading them
0: i love that i love that stick to our heritage Mm -hmm. there you have it guys remington is on the rise Like, comment, subscribe, and be sure to share this podcast with your hunting or shooting buddies. Be on the lookout for the next episode. You can find us anywhere you can stream podcasts. And for more Remington content, follow us on all social media platforms at Remington1816. If you have any questions or have a topic you'd like us to talk about, feel free to email us at podcast at remington.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at remington.com. Thanks for listening.